0: No Welcome to No Challenges in Raining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Special episode for you here in between the men's semifinal and final. With somebody who played in the semifinal and final and the final tomorrow being Novak Djokovic, the Best person talked about Novak Djokovic, all things Serbian tennis for a long time now has been Sasha Osmo of Sports Club in Serbia, journalist from there. Sasha, thank you for making some time this weekend to to come on. I appreciate it.
1: Anytime, Ben. I think last time I was on, it was Australian Open 2017 after Novak lost to Istomin, right? Yeah, it was after the Istomin match. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> that was after
0: after a a, a a tough loss for Novak, but this is after a big win for him. I mean, Obviously, Novak's number one, you know, he's been winning a ton of things lately, but this still felt like the biggest victory for Novak in a long time, beating Rafa at, uh, at Roland Garros. What, what did you make of yesterday's match?
1: And were you surprised by the result? How, how did you see everything go? In, I think in case uh, he wins tomorrow against Tsitsipas, uh, this win against Rafa would count as best of his career by far, in my opinion. Yeah, well, yeah. But to, to make it count, he needs to beat Tsitsipas first. As for the match itself, I mean, we've all seen it. It was thrilling, especially especially the third set. There was a lot of uh, little quirks and adjustments in the game, especially from Novak. But I guess we're going to dive deeper into this as as, as we continue our conversation. But for the first moment, I must say that uh, like build up to this match was far different to to the previous year's final where everyone thought of Novak as, a, as the favorite and that, that yeah. could have put additional pressure on his shoulders and this year I think everyone thought just Rafa was an overwhelming favorite and maybe that played in Novak's favor a bit yeah
0: I completely agree because I, w- I was someone who also was very excited for last year's final I really thought Novak had a chance I thought it would be a, a great match and then it was not a competitive or interesting match, honestly, at all in the end. It was very one-sided for Rafa. And yeah, And so this year I was like, oh, well, you know, last year's final wasn't good. The Rome final was another win for Nadal, even if, if closer. So I wasn't especially, honestly, very excited for this match. I mean, and so, yeah, I think expectations being lower. And then obviously the first, I don't know, half hour of this match being five love for for Nadal didn't do anything to get me excited either. But but what did, what did you see Novak... Uh, change in this in this match to turn it around because it it looked like it was gonna be a repeat of the 2020 match at first and then uh he made it much more interesting
1: yes first of all i guess he was he was uh a bit more patient with his shots he was rushing a lot in the 2020 finals just hitting every ball as hard as you can and novak likes to repeat this phrase like controlled aggression I think he needs to find the balance between, you know, risky tennis one must play in order to beat Nadal on clay. But on the other side, to, to be patient as well and to, to not let him push, push you behind the baseline too much. And I think that's the balance Novak was able to find. And one thing I find particularly impressive about this Djokovic win is that he was able to pull it off. Uh, that he was able to pull it off without virtually without no free points on his serve for the first three sets. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, when we talked pre-match, you know, calculations, what one needs to do, what other needs to do, uh, one of the musts for Novak was he needs to have at least one point per game uh, on average free on serve. And he did not have that. And I was, uh, I was really impressed by his composure because usually when he... When he's playing a big match and he's, uh, he's having trouble uh, getting any free points on his serve, he tends to get a bit negative, maybe complain to his box or say something like, uh, I don't know, uh, can I get at least one first serve or something like that. But uh, Wimbledon 2019 final and this match against Rafa, he never complained about that, not once. He, he lost his temper. Mm. Few times, but nothing too much, and that composure yeah. I think was one of the key factors. Uh, also, in order to beat Nadal, you have to stay. I mean, this is like a cliche, but when it comes to Nadal on clay, it really matters. You really have to stay focused throughout the match. And the only, the only time Novak wasn't focused and his legs weren't were, weren't working because he wasn't mentally totally in it, were those three games. From two love to five, from five love to five, from two love to five love in the first set to yeah. Nadal, and the rest of the match, he was just able to stick with it, even uh, even in the third set. Uh, I mean, having uh, served for the two-one lead, thirty love up, that easy forehand in the net. I mean, it could have broken anybody, but he stayed composed, and in the end, it paid off. You obviously saw this match going his way, and obviously you're saying
0: it's it's a big win for him, and I completely agree. And I think, it, yeah, you're right, If he, but he does have to back it up. And we saw what yeah. happened in 2015, you know, where I think some people who I think don't follow the sport as closely are like, oh, yeah, Novak beat, you know, Rafa once, and Novak also won the French Open once around the same time, and they kind of think it's the same year, but it's not. Those were two different, completely different events and different tournaments. So what do you think... Is, the, is there a danger, do you think, of having a letdown from this sort of match? Uh, he will go in, obviously, after having not much pressure against Nadal in terms of being expected to be the favorite in the semifinal to being a huge favorite against um, a guy who's a good player in Stefano Tsitsipas for sure, but has never won a Grand Slam, is in his first final. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not personally nervous that Novak is going to, you know, choke or whatever. He doesn't usually do that in his career, but... How do you, how do you see the the challenge of the final coming up?
1: Listening to you asking the question I was just picturing various different scenarios in my head and I mean mm. it could unfold in very different ways I mean for example if you look at the if you look at this year's Australian Open final I think yeah. no one no one expected for Djokovic to crush Medvedev the way he crushed him I agree. first uh, I expected a lot closer match But there were instances in in his career when when it went the opposite way. You mentioned that Garros 2015, and and I think uh, Novak won some slams that uh, maybe no other player on the planet would win, like after saving match points, Wimbledon, US Open. But on the other Mm -hmm. hand, uh, unlike Nadal, he maybe lost some slams to, let's say, others, quote, unquote. You know, like he lost... uh, Twice to Wawrinka in the finals, he lost that uh, Nishikori match in 2014. I mean that was semis, but uh, yeah. I, some, I already pictured him with the with the trophy back then. So I'm not quite sure as how how will both of them uh, react. Novak, uh, as you mentioned, obviously has pressure, but I think. Uh, uh, Tsitsipas, I mean, he's playing in his first slam finals and you could see how emotional was it for him and I think if, if it was based on pure quality of play, I think he would have be beaten Zverev much easier. Yeah. But the pressure got to him as well. I mean, it was a poor quality match. It's not the... It's far from the best those two guys could play. It reminded me of the team U.S. Open US Open final last year. So uh, it, it, it's hard to predict how how will they react? Because uh, it's totally different circumstances for Novak. Uh, I mean, even in 2015, when he beat Nadal, it was a straightforward match, and Rafa wasn't at his best back then. Yeah. Now Rafa was is on this amazing streak of titles and victories, and uh, everyone saw him uh, as a 14, 14 times Roland Garros champion, and it was a it was a much more it was an excruciating match, both mentally and physically. And uh, I, I know Novak believes in his recovery skills. Uh, the one thing he always repeats after matches like that is that we have our routine, routines, we stick to our routines, the rest is big, yeah. he's going to sleep in and stuff like that. And I really believe him that he will recover physically. But if things, if the going gets tough, I could see him struggle a bit mentally. And I think Tsitsipas has the game to trouble him.
0: Yeah. No, I was thinking of, of the 2011 US Open where Djokovic won the crazy semifinal against Federer, hitting the the, the big forehand on down match point, the return, which is, I'm sure still annoys Federer, that shot. And <laughs> I I was thinking, that, yeah, he came back from that big, big semifinal win to win that final that year against yeah, And Adal. in so, Melbourne
1: 2012, which was even worse because he yeah. played five hours with Murray and he had a day less. Yeah. Then Dal and then went on to beat him in that almost six hours long match. So... yeah. Yeah. I think if, I think physically he, he won't be I think physically won't be a problem but mentally as I said he could struggle if if Pass pushes him and uh, I think he Tsitsipas if he plays up to his standards up to his, up to the standards he himself set this spring on clay I think it, it could get tricky for Novak but if if Pass feels the pressure and I think uh, if we're looking from Stefanos' point of view a uh, really important thing for him is to not uh, not be tight in the in the opening games because if, if Noah feels the blood, if he feels that he's under control, he could uh, break through immediately and then he would feel less pressure. And I think that's not no. a good position to be in your first Grand Slam final.
0: I want to step back and talk a little bit about Novak's sort of chase for history and all these different things he's been doing. And he's been very open, I think, about his goals. Similar to Serena. I mean, Federer and Nadal both never really, at least Federer since he broke... Sampras's record back, you know, in 2009 has not really focused talking too much openly, at least about it being a big goal to win this this competition for most Grand Slams. And it all certainly doesn't really talk that way too much either. But Djokovic has. Djokovic has been very open about his goals. And one of the goals he hit earlier this year was this most weeks at number one, which I know he was calling. I had not, not heard this term before Djokovic got it, this historic number one, they were calling it. And it seemed like it was a huge deal in Serbia, especially too. I saw pictures of you know billboards and posters and and you kind know, of sort of big celebration there. I got to say, for me, it was surprising because I can't remember ever this record being treated with such a big deal before. But obviously, it meant a lot, and it should mean a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a mark of consistency. It's it's a great yeah, achievement that, that makes that's... sense. But I'm just curious why you think this this one thing resonated so much. I guess. I
1: think I think you, I think you covered it, and in my opinion, the, the, the consistency is the most underrated, let's say, trait of all the greats in all sports. Yeah. You know, uh, for example, people people don't uh, sometimes don't appreciate LeBron James enough, and they don't realize that he's playing on a high level for almost what two decades. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. You you've had uh, you've had maybe some. Greater players with better charisma or whatnot, but their peak lasted a lot, uh, uh, a lot shorter. And uh, I think that's what uh, most weeks at number one proves that he, that I personally, the last decade from 2011 on, has been Novak's decade. And yeah, that's sort of like, like an official award for decade-long dominance, I think. And I think that that's why it matters so much. On the podcast, we did a show at the end of 2019 of best
0: players of the. Of the decade Novak was easy number one uh-huh. for the men I mean there was no question that what he's been doing and obviously very concentrated in this decade 2008 Australian Open obviously came earlier but him being number one and everything he was the player of the, of the decade for sure he's also go, obviously getting closer to this 20 to, to passing the all-time Grand Slam wins thing which I think is at least in sort of maybe Western media that the record people focus on more and he has 18 now he'll get 19 if he wins tomorrow the other two, Federer and Nadal, are tied at 20. So if he wins Wimbledon and the French Open, he could tie for 20, and then he can win the. U- I I really think it's possible for him to win it this year. Obviously, it's still hard winning three more grand slams it's nothing to take take for granted and a lot of things can happen and, and change and exactly yes. you never you never know it's it's also you know want to be cautious about assuming that things come easy and we've seen that with serena my gosh how long she we definitely never thought that she'd be stuck at 23 this long making four finals yeah, not winning it's,
1: it's like the, it's like serena and the big three they make it look so easy you're just thinking okay he's going to win two one or two more slams and that's something people work for their entire lives and yeah. it's not i mean we've seen for example dominic team i mean who could have supposed that he is going to react the way he reacted after winning his first Slam title? Yeah. And I think the big three have made us uh, uh, take it for granted that it's easy, but obviously it's not. It is it is extremely hard. And as for the chase itself, I think tomorrow is the key. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, if Djokovic wins tomorrow, then he will be the only one out of the three to hold at least two Slams everywhere because Federer Yeah, has- that's a big one triumphed once in Paris, uh, Rafa once in Australia, and I think if he's able to conquer Paris again, that that is going to be a huge deal in in the let's say goat debate or, yeah. or whatever. I, I I think Novak doesn't doesn't want to get ahead of himself. If he wins tomorrow, then he's going to start to think about Wimbledon. But personally, when I hear you say or when, or when I hear other people say that he could achieve, I don't know, a year Slam. Uh, I know it's Novak and that he's achieved a lot of uh, incredible stuff in his career. But to me, it still sounds unreal. That <laughs> someone someone can win like four slams in a no. year, in a calendar year. And one achievement oh, uh, that also separates him is, which I which I don't think is getting spoken enough about, is the fact that he is the only one to, ha- to have hold uh, all four slams on three different surfaces at the same time. Yeah, four and, in a row. Uh, yeah. No, the four, I was four gonna,
0: in a row. I was I was gonna mention that because he won the four in a row. And it's also just I think it's sort of cautionary tale of how quickly things can change, right? When things are going well. Yep. Because he won four in a row twenty fifteen Wimbledon through twenty sixteen French Open. He won them all. Serena had done that a couple times too, which I think so in the US maybe we were more used to that as an achievement. <laughs> um and I think she did overlapping times too. But um but yeah, but then he goes to Wimbledon and you know, then then there started being talk of winning the calendar slam winning four in a row once you get the first two, and then he lost to Query in the third round of that tournament kind of out of nowhere. And then it totally, and then he was, you know, didn't come close to winning again for a while. And yeah, and that, and that just, I think, shows how quickly, quickly. Yeah, I mean, mental
1: trench. exhaustion. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen him more nervous than, uh, uh, because, you know, they played, he played with query on two days. And on that warm up uh, before the second day of the match, I've never seen him more nervous. So, mm. I mean, it was mental exhaustion. Then the injury came and when it all, came together it uh, it resulted in him not winning a slam in more than two years right yeah he won his next slam was Wimbledon 2018
0: yeah no it, it can change really quick and you never just know when suddenly things are gonna derail when everything's going very smoothly and all of a sudden you hit one bump and it it, it takes a lot of things working all at the same time to be able to win a grand slam and we see that yeah with a lot of different players and how how much has to go your way for it to work um work out like that and I mentioned a couple of those things. It did not go his way in 2020. I mean, that's one of the things that's also, I think, remarkable about the year he's putting it together is that he, in terms of getting, you know, in the head of the Grand Slam count, and I do agree, in general GOAT debates, I think he has a lot of things going for him. I think he has the head-to-heads against both Federer and Nadal. I think he has the Masters, the winning all of them. And if he wins the twice. French Open, win, win all of them twice, right? If he wins the French Open, he'll have yep. won all the Masters and all and all the slams twice. That's No one's close to that. No one's come close, really, to yep. winning all the masters and it all still hasn't won what uh paris indoors or miami or i think maybe china i think shanghai maybe shanghai, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then federer hasn't won monte carlo and rome and so yeah it's it, it he's got a lot of unique things going for him in that conversation but just on the 21 i'm curious I, I mean if you had told me after he won cincinnati that that djokovic in 2020 would finish the year not winning either of the next two slams i would have been shocked because he was playing so well You know, he was undefeated that year. Um, And then to have his U.S. Open end the way it ended and have the French Open final went the way it did. I mean, how much of a disappointment do you think the sort of end of 2020 was for him? Even if it was great by anybody else's standards, you know, he won Cincinnati, he won Rome, he made a final.
1: It was an extreme disappointment. I mean, you could see it by his, uh, maybe by his... uh... He was motivated by the that historic number one you mentioned, but you could see his attitude in his loss to sonegu in Vienna, which was far from ideal. I've never seen him play like that. Yeah, And uh, uh, somehow when you watch Novak enough, you, you see that uh, sometimes he wants to give his best, but he struggles with it. And that's when the when the nerves kick in and you could see it in London as well. And that was all, it was a tough, it was a rough year. And along with the things you've mentioned, obviously what happened at the U S open, we all know how he lost the French open final. We all know, but on, on top of that, Wimbledon wasn't even played. Yeah. And he, he won Wimbledon. Uh, he was a two time defending champion. So he didn't have that going for him either in 2020. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, a
0: lot of setbacks. And yeah, coming out the way he did in Australia even with um, a bunch of negativity in terms of how he was being talked about in Australia with uh, the quarantine rules and everything there to come out and win that tournament in those tough conditions. And again, in the way he did in the final against Medvedev when Medvedev had won so many straight matches and so many top 10 matches in a row. And yeah, his, his, his recover abilities are are pretty impressive. I want to ask you, you're, we're we're doing this call from Serbia, you're home in Serbia now. Um, I think it, it, curious for your perspective. I know we talked about this before, but like maybe even now after this past year or so, how how you would characterize what Novak means to to Serbia? Because we see, I think, even just experiencing on social media, and I get all sorts of messages all the time. They find me everywhere. The serves in my my Facebook, my Instagram, everywhere, constantly blowing up, telling t- telling me how Novak is number one. Leaving under pictures of you know pictures of my dog on Instagram, I get all these Novak comments. Like what <laughs> what what does he mean to to Serbia? Because he seems like it seems like the fan, the people there, at least that I experience on social media, are kind of uniquely passionate about him and proud of him and protective of him too. There's this like, there's this real, it's very, it seems very intense the relationship with Novak
1: in Serbia. It's it's very, it's very layered to yeah. begin with. But I, to be honest, Ben, I don't think that social media is the right, you know, measurement stick of anything. Okay. You know, uh, but uh, for me, the greatest thing Novak has achieved in Serbia is uh, making older people fall in love with sports. Hmm. I mean, you could see like, Grand Grandparents, I mean, my grandparents who haven't followed sports, never, mm-hmm. who've never followed sports, watching Novak matches, asking my mom, did he win? Is he going to win when he's playing, when he's going to play next? And I mean, he's brought this tennis revolution to Serbia. I mean, uh, right now you could, uh, I mean, people... People are wondering how it's going to be tennis in Serbia after Novak, and of course there is going to be a bit decline in interest. But I can tell you, I can tell you from, uh, I mean, me working at sport club that some of the most random matches, I don't know, Raonic, Monfils, is being watched more now than some maybe basketball matches. And Hmm. basketball is our national sport. So he brought tennis to a higher level and on a on a more, let's say, broad social note. I think uh, he's obviously. He's got a lot of layers to his persona as well. And uh, and I think we here in Serbia, in Greece, I mean, generally in the south here of Europe, we, we tend to live with our athletes. It's not the case just with Novak. For example, people are now waking up, are not going to sleep at all watching Nikola Jokic and mm-hmm. Bogdan Bogdanovic in NBA playoffs. Your new MVP, Jokic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When Sacramento Kings when, with Vlada Divac and Predrag Stojakovic, I mean, uh, it was frenzy. I, 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 used to wake up at uh, because that was that late, uh, uh, late, the latest match yeah. in the NBA. I think that's ten thirty, or no, it's it was four thirty a.m. Mm. The Kings we usually used to play at four thirty a.m. and I used to watch the match, and right after the match, I, I. I'm going out outside on the streets and playing basketball with my yeah. friends on the on the local on the local court or, or in my elementary school. So that's how crazy was it. And uh, I mean, with uh, with Novak, it's that he's done a lot of uh, uh, good things for Serbia and with his charity foundation, obviously, you know, for people here. And his attitude, you know, with the with like an ordinary man, it's is something that. That maybe appeals to him, and he's and he's the most successful athlete we've ever had. Yeah. But that passion that you're referring to, it's not uh, it's not Novak's privilege. It's how you should you should see the way when, uh, for example, our basketball national team is playing an important match in an important competition. I mean, we all go crazy. There is no one there is no one in the streets, and uh, uh, it's not like uh, it's not like everybody loves Novak here. Hmm. He's not universally loved. I mean, you should sometimes see the comments, for example, on Sports Club or some other websites. It's not that he's uh, universal love, maybe some of the uh, you guys maybe perceive it that way. So there, there's there's a lot right. of critics on the uh, on the way sometimes, the way he behaves on and off the court, or if he said something, or if he's done something socially, not just not just tennis-wise. I mean, for our culture, and I mean, he knows that we've spoken about it in in some interviews, and in some media conference about his uh, his nutrition it's it's something totally foreign to an average to an average Serbian I mean we yeah. eat a lot of meat we we are pride of we are proud of our cuisine and yeah. everything so he, he's got uh, he is not your regular serb sometimes uh, sometimes I mean when you see him on the court and the way he stays composed the way he behaves how disciplined he is. He's got more of a German mentality than Serbian. Hmm. but sometimes sometimes that Serbian mentality, you know helps him go over that, that, that last hurdle. Yeah. you, you mentioned uh, one thing I, you said, one
0: thing you said in that, which was interesting I wanted to sort of step back to was just layers of his his persona. And I guess are there are there, are there what do you think of those if you can maybe explain those a little bit more in terms of what people see as, as being his persona? In Serbia and how different and, and also if you can also if you can say how different it is than it is and from what you understand of how he's perceived in, in Western media.
1: I think that uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's really simple. I mean, it's like everyone has their good size and bad size, bad size. Everyone said uh, I'm on, done good things and uh, some not so good things in their mm-hmm. lives. But the perception here is that uh, in the West, those Bad things are more emphasized, and the good things are not being uh, talked about enough. Yeah. I mean, we could go we could go on um, I'm about this forever, and I but I think that is the key. And when I said layers on persona, uh, I covered one aspect of it: the nutrition, yeah. and I mean the the meditation and the, his whole approach to life, which is uh, which is very changed to what it was at the beginning of his career, even. And obviously, he's evolved. And he's changed as a person, but at the same time, uh, at the same time, I like his, uh, I like his approach uh, to people, you know, as I said, to ordinary people, I like the way he talks to, to press, hmm. because even if he, sometimes uh, I remember, I think it was with you when he, when you spoke for like 20 oh, minutes. Oh, in Rome. Yeah.
0: On. After the Gimmelstab oh. thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, was it that, or was it the PTPA? I'm not sure. No, it was before sure that. It was, what, it was
0: it was it was after but, Gim- it was after gimelstab and it was when they were re- re- about to elect the replacement
1: for Gimelstab's seat on the board. And I asked he, him. He can get he can get pissed off, yeah. but he 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 respects you as a journalist and what what he uh, what he always says it's we are all part of the same story of sport and everything. He doesn't look yeah. on anyone like from a high from no i like that i agree with that that's that is one thing i appreciate about him the most and professionally i like him because even though he's uh he's become more diplomatic maybe gives you good answers you know you can you can work with that it's not just regular cliches and everything sometimes he does but when he gets asked the same question like 20 times yeah. that's when he pulls out the cliches but usually usually they're good answers and from my professional point of view that's why I like I like working with him.
0: So two more things. First, I I'm I'm curious. We had, I haven't seen you in, in more than years. I haven't had that much chance to talk yeah. to you, and I've just been curious what it was like in terms of things that got attention in the West. Also at Adriator. I know you were there. What was that? And I was sending you. I I wanted to have you on like that week. I remember I reached out to you, cause, and I was just very curious how it was like to be at a tennis event at all because we hadn't had any at that point in 2020 for months and what what that was like. And what do you think that sort of the fallout from it was uh, after the positive cases started showing up?
1: It it was obviously a crazy situation. Uh, I mean, we were at the beginning of all this shit. If I can say that Mm -hmm. (laughs) no one knew what to expect, but uh, uh, I was, I was speaking on the same subject to a couple of Australian radio and TV stations. And uh, uh, when you you, when you speak about it you must take into account the whole atmosphere in Serbia at that point yeah and it it's it, it doesn't revolve around Novak uh, or anyone connected to the Adria tour I mean it was it was this crazy situation with the po- politics and the establishment and the elections coming up and the the rules were so loosened and there was the atmosphere of like okay I mean I think we were the first country we had a we call it the Eternal Derby here. Hmm. It's the biggest soccer game in uh, in Serbia between Red Star and Partizan. Yeah. I mean, there were there was more than thirty thousand people in the stands. Yeah. So f- for uh, for someone who I've been trying to you know stay safe and follow the guidelines and everything, you know, for me it was adria tour was nothing. You know, when I see, I mean, and it was tennis. People are like standing and doing this. Could you imagine? More than 30,000 fans, soccer going wild. Right. I mean, it, so, and that was that was the atmosphere back then. So, of course, obviously there were some mistakes. And I think if you ask Novak, I don't know, personally or privately, he, he would have probably done a lot of things differently. Yeah. But at the same time, that, that's what uh, I was referring to earlier, is that, uh, okay, but uh, a lot of good things he's done during the pandemic uh, are somehow don't get to the public enough, and I don't mean just the money he donated, but that as well. Personally, I know a lot of stories uh, from uh, people, lower-ranked tennis players, who are very grateful to him for yeah. some things that he has done, but things that they or him doesn't want to go out in the public. And for example, all this, all this, uh, I've spoken to. To some lower-ranked uh, players from this region of ex-Yugoslavia, and several of them, I can't describe the the amount of appreciation they have for everything Novak has done for them with this uh, fight uh, for giving them the funds during the coronavirus. Because some of them, uh, I know, received a check of 10,000 euros, which was something they earn yearly, and yeah. No. Uh, before the expenses and now they just received it uh, as help so and, and and a lot of other things but well, let's not get into that now okay yes i know Adrian tour got a, a lot of heat in the west especially uh, some things after that as well but you know obviously he i mean you can't be an ordinary guy and be one of the one of the greatest tennis players ever.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely not an ordinary guy that we can, that we yeah. can
1: agree on that no, for sure. And uh, what you are saying too, I, I remember being really
0: struck during, I guess it was the offseason, seeing a video of him working on court just a little bit with uh, Olga Danilovic. Uh, she was practicing, and he's a lower ranked, you know, WTA player, probably outside top hundred now, I think. And just seeing Novak in the middle of you know this pursuit to win, you know, the most Grand Slams and break all these records, and being number one on the men's side that he was taking sort of spare time to coach and advise this this you know lower ranked wta player i thought was was very cool and and just seeing uh and I'm, i know from people yeah like you said he does a lot of stuff with that behind the scenes too that gets uh that gets a lot of attention and, and i think what you're talking about with with the money is, is more in terms of not like he's writing actual checks in them but just advocating for the money from the organizations yeah. yeah to be clear yeah um and he's done that with ptpa too and i know a lot of he gets a lot of appreciation from the lowering players for again as number one using his time and energy for all these different causes and i know for a long time even just when he was head of the player council you know his coaches and stuff like he should spend less time on that sort of you know the tennis politics side of stuff they keep telling
1: him but he doesn't want
0: to quit it (laughs) yeah um and then the very last thing sasha thank you for your time to the extent we have any serbian uh listeners here you have a book out now um, yeah, you've, uh, that I I it's in Serbian, so I'm pro- not sure I could really read it very well at all. Although I do I do try to do your um when you do your quizzes on Instagram, I do try to read the Serbian there because it's fine because it's pretty phonetic. I li- I just like the way that you have to write the names in Serbian It's all the phonetic spellings of the names. Yeah, it's too. crazy. Yeah, so that those are sort of fun puzzles for me to try to figure out when I when I see those pop up. But if you have any for any Serbian listeners in English, if you can plug your book to uh, to Serbian. Uh, listeners in your book about sports journalism.
1: Yeah, thank you for this. I mean, the book is called Sports Journalism. And it uh, it is my experience. And the, the, let's say, goal of the book is to help young and aspiring journalists or maybe some more experienced journalists to learn from my experience. And uh, I've covered everything I know there. I've covered some of my biggest mistakes, named some examples. Mm. And uh, from the feedback I've been getting so far, uh, predominantly positive reactions with them, which I'm really happy about and a lot of uh, kids have written to me saying oh this meant a lot uh, uh, and what I wanted to achieve with it was uh, some sort of advice that I didn't have in that book form all in one place mm. you know when, when I was uh, when I was young let's say 16, 17 to 20, 21 years old mm. so that's it I'm really happy about it and uh uh, I hope maybe for, for a second edition. Who
0: knows? Well, congratulations on that. If it ever comes out in English, yes. obviously I would eagerly uh, check it out. It might. It okay, might. cool. Cool. That'd be yep. good. Thank you very much, Sasha. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Ben. So thank you very much to Sasha Osmo for coming on the show in a busy time frame between Djokovic in the semifinal and in the final on this French Open Saturday. Other episode out on the women's final, which saw Barbara Krejcikova win her Maiden Grand Slam over Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Don't worry, that will get plenty of coverage from us soon. And in the meantime, we want to thank all of you for supporting NCR as we bring you content that hopefully feels decently above and beyond on our little show here. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. You can support us at any one of five tiers there. We'd really appreciate it as we keep bringing you this ad-free show every day during the Slams. And we want to thank, as we thank every episode, our Slam Champ-level backers, Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel. And our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. Again, if you want to hear your name on the show, patreon.com slash Remaining would be the way to do it. And in the meantime, thank you for visiting us. Thank you for joining us on this Balkan break. And we'll see you soon. And finally, Bye.
1: First, twelve points go to Serbia. Twelve points go to Serbia. And our 12 12- points.